0: ...precious children up before your throne. And we say, those of us who are entrusted with their care, parents, church leaders, teachers, community leaders, that you would deposit in us everything, O God, that we are supposed to deposit in them find us faithful to build their lives that the ceiling of our life is going to become the floor of their journey that catapults them into their destiny in Jesus' name and everybody said together come on amen come on let's make some noise for our children come on we want to cheer for our kids every week So Chuck, if you ever get transferred, Chuck's in the Air Force, you've got to teach somebody else how to whistle like that before you can go. Because we have to have somebody that can, don't you like, that just excites, it does, yeah, it's good, it's good. Hey, before, we got a couple of things just to share before we get started in in the message tonight. Tim and Christy. They're not here because they're on a much-needed vacation. Come on. And uh, their family's getting away, getting some much-needed rest. And I'm telling you, they pour their lives out for this church. And if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, you know that they are treasures of this house. They love God. They've poured their lives out into many of your lives, taken time, just given of themselves to each of you. So I'm going to ask you to... Just over the next couple of days to blow up Facebook with just accolades for Tim and Christy. Can you do that? I mean, every one of you before you go to bed tonight, jump onto Facebook and just say some word of expression of appreciation over them because you know, even though they're on vacation, they're gonna, right? They're gonna be on their computers, and checking Facebook, and how cool would it be that just one after another, after another, after another, that people from the City Life Church are just just reaching out to them and just pray a prayer of blessing over their vacation, their rest, let them know how much you appreciate them and uh, and what they're doing. Good. Can you do that for me? All right. Come on. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. I'm excited. This, this text tonight, we're going to see how far we get. We might not get all the way through it tonight because I don't want to rush through it. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But th- this is one of my favorite texts to teach on in the Bible, because I believe it's one of the most misapplied teachings in the church today, and so we're going to get in here, we're going to dig around in this thing a little bit, come on, and it's going to be life-giving to us, but this whole series is about us being life-giving to other people, and this is going to up our life-giving quotient for each of our lives, so to kind of help us get us thinking in the right direction, you know, we're in the middle of a move, we moved in last week, and we were talking about that, so now we're in the process of moving out from under all the boxes, So if you want to learn something about yourself, move, and then make a note the first thing that you begin to look for. You know, the old saying goes that if you want to know what somebody values, look at how they spend their time and their money. But if you also want to know what somebody values, what's the first thing that they unpack? So true confessions for us, it was our espresso machine. Before anything else was unpacked, that baby was set up in the corner. Espresso was ground for the next morning. My little white cups, and the, it was all, we were ready to go. We didn't even have any toilet paper unpacked yet, but the espresso machine was ready to run with us the Saturday morning that we woke up in our new home. So for some of you, as, you's, as, you's, as you have moved, come on, we like participation here at the City Life Church. What are some things that you reach for first? Come on, somebody, somebody participate. What's something that you've reached for first? Amy, your Lysol. Come on, disinfectant. Somebody else, one of the first things you've reached for, Sharon, your glasses. And you all have done a lot of moving in your career in the military. Yeah, glasses, you gotta be able to see. Or maybe you wanna hide those because you don't wanna see because of all the work that you've gotta do. Brooke, cell phone charger, yes. Yes, and isn't it irritating that you have to have like 50 different chargers for all your different, Why it just should be one for everything, they make money on us. Wayne, your computer, I thought you were going to say your soccer ball and your cleats. Somebody, Denise. She's pausing, is this a confessional moment? Do you need us to all turn our head? Your bed, there you go, you got to have your bed set up. You got to be able to get a good night's sleep. Yes, ma'am, in the back. Put things on the wall, some important decorations, pictures of your children, family memories, your drums, okay. Food, there you go. Come on. True confessions. Was there somebody else over here? Your iPod, there you go. Come on, your technology. All right, one more. Come on. Tim, the TV, God bless you, brother, for saying that. Come on, how many other people were thinking that, but you didn't want to shame yourself? Come on, all the guys are... Raising their hands. They're shooting them up fast. you got to have your TV remote. One of the things in life that we should always be reaching for is relationships. All the things that matter to us, and all those things matter to us. Some of them are funny. Some of them are more meaningful than others. But on this journey of life, as you're moving from season to season, one of the very first things that you should be unpacking and reaching for and cherishing are the relationships that God has for you on this journey. This is out of Ephesians. It's chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 19. Listen to this. So then you were no longer foreigners and strangers. He's talking about people who have made a vow of devotion to Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Continuing on in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Verse 21, the whole building is being fitted together in him and is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord in whom you also, listen, that's you, that's me, are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit God did not create you to live in isolation he created you to be in relationship with him but he created you to be in relationship with other people and you can be in a room and still be a stranger you can be in a crowd and still be unknown we've got to reach for the people around us and invest some time in building those relationships And the responsibility is on us, come on, to reach out to one another and not wait for other people to reach for us. That's part of this series about being life-giving. So here are the 12 pathways that we teach about at the church that lead us into the depths of eternal life. And so we're going to tackle relationships tonight, but we always like to do a giveaway. So come on, the first hand that I see somebody can give me three that we've already done. Any takers? Okay, come on. Come on, Bernie. You can do it. Generosity. Service. Stewardship. Come on. She did it. Nice. Nice. That's right. We've done all three of those. You can check those out on the podcast. The other thing that we've just started doing recently is that the notes from the sermon are on the website. So we cover a lot of ground. We hit a lot of verses, and some we throw up just as a reference. So you can start downloading those documents. If God stirs your heart about something in the message, go on and take a look at that and do some studying on your own. And let the Holy Spirit, come on, he wants to be your teacher. He wants to be your teacher. So this is the big idea that's kind of launched this series. Our lives need to have flow. Our words, our attitudes, our reactions, our choices, our examples, life giving to everyone around us. And the 12 pathways make it possible, rivers of living water out of us and into the world. And when we look at these three texts in Scripture, we see that God is saying to us, relationships matter to me and they should matter to you. Romans 12, 5, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In Psalm 133, I want to read a little bit out of there because this is a powerful verse. Nick Cocannon tweeted it to me weeks ago, and I said, oh, come on, that's going to be a great text for this message on relationships. So we can give a nod to Nick for throwing this out. Listen to this, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is. When brothers and sisters, I'm throwing sisters in, come on, can live together in unity. Listen to what it says, and it gives us two similes. If you're an English major, come on, two, two like-or-as statements. It is like fine oil on the head running down of the beard running down Aaron's beard on his robes. I'm going to explain what that is. In number, verse 3, it says, it's like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has appointed the blessing life Forevermore, Jesus compares relationships and unity to two of probably the most sacred promises in scripture. One is the promise of his presence in our lives. This idea of Aaron being anointing is referencing the moment where God established the priesthood. And they anointed them with oil as a sign of the spirit of God coming and empowering them and equipping them to be able to accomplish the purposes that they were called for. And each of us have a plan and a purpose. And it's bigger than what we could ever do of our own strength. And so God says, come on, I'm going to put my anointing on your life. My spirit is going to come upon you, and able, enabling you to do far more than you could ever hope to do on your own. And then he says, relationships are just as important as that. Come on, he's valuing something by way of a comparison. He's valuing something by way of, of, of putting it next to something so we can appreciate. And then if that wasn't enough, what does he say? He says, it's just as important as life Evermore. Now, we know he's not saying it's just as important as our eternity because nothing could be compared to that, but because we know that the Bible talks about, which is the message of our church, that we can have heaven on earth. That eternal life is not just measured on the time continuum. Come on, what do we say? It's measured on the depth continuum. And he's saying to us that this idea of heaven on earth, if you want to have it, you better be in relationship with other people or you're going to live less than what you could have lived. And I believe that the psalmist inspired by the Holy Spirit, is not just giving us a comparison. He's given us a causal relationship. I believe that the psalmist is writing on behalf of God to say to us, if you don't have these relationships, if you don't have these relationships, then there's a measure of the anointing of God that you will not walk in because the giftedness of other people complete you. Come on. And I believe he's also saying, he's also saying, that if you're not walking in relationship, then you will... Walk through these days with regret because you didn't partake of everything that Jesus died for you to take hold of. He is giving us some weighty markers in Scripture so that we begin to value relationship to to the degree that he does. Ephesians 4, 25-27 is the famous verse that says, Don't let the sun go down on your what? Don't let it go down on your anger. What's he saying? He's saying be quick to resolve conflict, and that's where we're going tonight because we're going to be talking about Matthew 18. This idea of relationships is big, so we're going to dig around in this idea of what do we do when relationships begin to fracture? What do we do when there's tension in the relationships that we have? God has a plan for us for how we can mend and see relationships restored and reconciled. But one of the other things that it says is don't sin in your anger, and that's important because the Bible gives us permission to express the emotions that God gave us to have. God doesn't expect you to be a robot. There are going to be times where the person that you're living with, come on, the person to whom you said, I do, makes you angry. I know that's a surprise to some of you. Come on. There's times where we get frustrated with our children. God's saying, hey, I know that you're going to be angry at times. I know that you're going to be frustrated. But that emotion should never give you permission to do something inappropriate. That frustration and that anger, especially if it's in response to something inappropriate that somebody else has done in your family, in your workplace, in your community, your neighbor violating the homeowners association rules, right? Come on. We live in a real place, in a real world. Somebody else's sin doesn't give us permission. It gives, we have permission to be angry, but we don't have permission to sin in our anger. The Bible tells us what to do with that anger. That's another message for another time. But the Bible talks about prayers of imprecation. You read the book of Psalms, David, he laid down some heavy prayers that people would suffer because he was angry with them. You t- we take our emotions to the throne room of heaven because that's a safe place. You read in the book of Psalms, come on, David's praying prayers like, and get God that beasts would come down from the mountains and consume their children in front of their eyes. You're like, is that a-? Yeah, it's right there in the Bible. Is that because God's saying it's okay to wish those things on people? No. He's saying because it's okay to bring your emotion to me so you don't take it to them. He talks about the shigeon. We talk about that a lot. It's a prayer of lament that means that you are so enamored with remorse that it is as though you're stumbling around in a drunken stupor. You ever been that angry? Come on, I've been that angry. You've been that angry. If you're not, just live it a little bit longer. It's coming. It's waiting for you. God says, you bring that to me so that you can get all that stuff, the cathartic moment. We spend all of our time being cathartic on the person that we're supposed to be helping to heal. We're going to get to that tonight. When God says, be cathartic with me, be cathartic with someone who's mature enough to receive it so that you can get to a place of emotional stability so that you can have a restorative effect on the world around you, especially the people that have disappointed you. Come on. I am responsible for the health and the vitality of the relationships in my church. And I will not sit idly by while people languish. I will not let people drown in their mistakes. Does your life have flow? We are responsible for one another. We are responsible to be the initiator towards other people when they're suffering and hurting and mistakes and sin, that the steps that they've taken, sins that they've committed, whether it's a sin of omission or sins of commission, something that they've done that they shouldn't have done or something that they're not doing that they need to be doing. There's all kinds of sin the Bible teaches us about. And it's our responsibility to go after those people in a loving way, even if they don't want us to come after them. Come on, because it's the way Jesus ministers to us. It's the way he expects us to minister to the world. All right, here we go. You ready? A plan. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. All right, I'm not going to read that yet. Let's give these verses here that are on the screen. 15 through 17, if your brother or your sister, I know some of you ladies go, whew, this is just for the men in the room. If your brother or your sister, it's talking about someone that you're in a relationship with In who's a follower of Christ. That's important. Context matters. This plan is for people that you have a measure of relationship with and who also are devoted followers of Christ. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. We're going to talk about that. If he listens to you, you have won your brother, but if he won't listen, take one or two more with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays no attention to them, tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever. He gives us a plan. We're going to unpack that. We're probably not going to get all of it tonight, but we're going to pick it up next week. We're going to unpack these three verses because it's one of the most misapplied processes and plans that God has given to us. So let's talk about what it's not. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, Paul says but only what is edifying and for the building up of one another. These are important verses that we're going to touch on right here because we understand the Bible in light of itself. If you take Matthew 18 and you put it out here all by itself, come on, it becomes a hammer that you bludgeon people with. But if you read Matthew 18 in the context of all the other verses in the Bible that tell us how we should relate to one another, it is understood in a whole different light. Which means that when we go to that person, come on, that rebuke can be a strong word. It means that when we go, the words that we share should be words that are uplifting. It should be words, they can be strong, but they should be words that build them up. It can call them into account. It can be serious, but it doesn't have to be demeaning and ridiculing. Come on, Philippians 2, 1 through 3, we talk about this all the time. If we were to fulfill those verses, we would change the world. It's where Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, Philippi saying that we should think of others as more highly than ourselves. How many disagreements have you been in? Relationships that are fracturing would have turned out different if you had approached that situation as thinking that that other person is more highly than yourself. How would it have been different if you had approached that situation saying, I'm going to be careful to make sure that the words that I speak are going to be words that they're going to be honest, they're going to be truthful, but that they're going to be uplifting for the purpose of building that person up. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let's read that one. Ephesians 4. we got a lot of bookmarks tonight. This is important stuff. Ephesians 4. Where are you? There we are. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Listen to these verses. All bitterness, anger, wrath, insult, slander, must be removed from you along with all wickedness. Anybody exempt from those verses? Come on, let's read them again. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, and insult, and slander must be removed from you along with all wickedness. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also For he gave you in Christ. We talked about how we get those things out of us. We don't get them out by bottling them up. We get them out by bringing them to God. We get them out by finding an audience with a safe person, a counselor, a spiritual leader, a trusted friend that we can vent to and be cathartic with. And sometimes it takes months. Sometimes, depending on the measure that you've been hurting, it could take years for you to work that stuff out of you. It takes time. But you can be emptied of it Because he asks it of us. He doesn't set us up for failure. He says to us, you don't have to live with those feelings. You can pour those things out and you don't have to pick them back up again. And if we have any hope and any uh, uh, intention of being the person that takes the step towards helping someone else to see their sin, we've got to have our own heart right when we step into that moment or it's going to be disastrous. It's not advice on how to win an argument. Come on, Matthew 18, how many, It's right? And many of us have used it this way. Come on, I have got to show this person that I'm right. What can I do? I know, I'm going to use Matthew 18, and I'm going to take four people who agree with me when I meet with them to show them how right that I am. You with me? God's not interested in you winning an argument. He's interested in restoring a relationship. And if your rights are more important to you than the relationship, we're going to get to that probably next week, come on, because there's a partnership that he wants to preserve, then you've already taken the wrong first step. It's not about winning the fight. It's about a relationship being restored. It's about a person being rescued. It's not three sequential steps. This is a huge mistake. It's not step one, step two, step three. They are categories of steps. Sometimes step one takes months. Sometimes that initial conversation, it takes time. People need to be given the freedom to hear what you're trying to say to them. Sometimes you have to go back to it a second time. Let them chew on it. Let them consider it. Let them weigh it. Let them pray about it. And then you meet again. Step one, that idea of you and that person meeting together privately, that can be a series of several meetings that you have with that person. Come on, especially if you're married. How many of you resolve the conflict after the first conversation in the first 30 minutes? It takes time. The bigger it is, the more time it takes. Do not view Matthew 18 as step one. Oh, yeah? You don't want to hear what I have to say? Well, I have three friends that are waiting in the car. Oh, you're not going to listen to them? Right? I'm podcasting this even as we speak to the church to call you into account. That's not how God treats us. We cannot use the Bible to our advantage to demean people. That's not what it's good. It's life-giving. Life-giving. It's not three sequential steps. We're going to be getting into that. It takes time. It's not a path for fracturing relationship. If you're in a relationship with someone at a friendship level, not talking about marriage here, and you want to get out of that relationship, you just do not want to be their friend, Matthew 18 is not the text for you. He has not given this to you for you to find a biblical way to divorce in relationship. Matthew 18 is given to us for the purpose of giving a path of restoration and reconciliation because that's what we're about as devoted followers of Christ. Come on. 2 Corinthians 5:17, it starts this way, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Let's keep reading. If anyone's in Christ, we all know this verse. He's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And listen, it keeps going. Now everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. I want you to be a reconciler in the world, he said. He wants your life to have flow. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Oh, come on. We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him to the world. Ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. Come on, that's what we celebrated in communion today. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are called to be instruments of reconciliation in this world, not the fracturing of a relationship in conflict. Now, there's times to fracture relationship. We know that. There's times where we're going to get to that at the end next week. There's times where we have to walk away. But that can't be the desire of our heart at the onset of the journey. It's an unavoidable outcome at times, but the desire of our heart in the very beginning should be, oh, God, help me be reconciled to my friend. I want to work it out. The potential of people. It's one of the themes that we talk about at this church probably just as much as anything else. We believe in the potential of people. And if you're going to be a person that takes a step towards someone to help them see a sin that they've committed, if you're going to be a person who is going to be a a productive, contributing part of the restoration of a relationship. You've got to follow Matthew 18 as the plan that it was intended to be. But you also have to be a person that sees that person not for who they are, but for who they one day will be. It's the way that God sees us. God does not see us for who we are today. He sees us for who we're going to become. And if you're going to step into a conflict, if you're going to step into a moment of tension with a person, you have got to have eyes that somehow are enabled to I know that they're going to be more than this one day. Come on. Matthew 18, 10 through 15, it sees that you don't look down on one of these little ones because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. That's important for us. It's saying that every person has angels that have been assigned to them. Are you with me? Every person is valued by God so much. There's angels that that are that are that are assigned to you and assigned to me. It helps you value that person, right? I know what you're thinking. I think they've got some demons working for them, not angels, which is why I'm getting involved. God, that's why we're going to straighten this person out because they need the angels to come back. When you've got to say that, you've got to see this. This person has assignments from God, from angelic beings, on their side. Come on, their value goes up in your heart. And then as you begin to read this text, God, when He sent Jesus to the earth to minister and preach, come on, He sent him with some material, didn't He? When you read the teachings of Christ, the parables that He taught, the truths that that He laid out upon us, it's just if I'm telling you, if you do not read the Bible, you are missing out on the best teaching and preaching that's ever going to be released into your life. It's through this book, not through a person. And one of the great stories that he tells is that if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them strays, the shepherd will, go, will leave the ninety-nine to go after the one. And many of us know that parable being taught to us from Luke 15, where it's taught in conjunction with the other two lost parables. All right, I got another gift card. What are the other two lost parables? There's the lost sheep and then there's two more. Oh, uh, come on, Alan Laterno. The lost son, and what else? The lost necklace that's a coin. That's good enough. Come on, Adam Eterno. Woohoo! That's good. Come on. You should be ashamed of yourself that a teenager showed you up. That's all I'm saying. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ, but a little bit from your pastor every now and again. It's good for you. Luke 15 talks about the lost sheep in connection to people who are spiritually lost. But Jesus uses that same parable in Matthew 18. We miss that a lot of times. So he uses it for a whole different purpose. He reuses his material sometimes because it's that good. He says sometimes the sheep that I'm talking about, they're not, it's not because they're lost spiritually. It's they're lost in their mistake. And they need a shepherd to come rescue them so they can be back in relationship. So what we're talking about, does your life have flow? Are you willing to be the one that goes after that one? Because if you see them the way Christ sees them, I'm telling you, you're going to run after people a little bit faster. Verse 10, Matthew 18, you download this. You can look at it. Do you see them as someone who's precious? Do you see them as someone that Christ died for? Do you see them as someone who's unaware? Sometimes people have blind spots. Come on. We have blind spots. And we need loving people to come to us in a caring way to help us deal with our mistakes. Do you see them as someone who's vulnerable? Verse 14. Do you see them? as someone who might just be lost in their shame, they know that they've messed up and they just need permission to say, I'm sorry. Will you be the shepherd that chases them down because you see the potential of their life? Come on, Celeste is going to come now. She's going to share some things with us. Today is Celeste's birthday. Come on. It's good, isn't it? Come on, we're going to go maybe five minutes or so over, but it's good. It's all right. You got nowhere, place better to be than here tonight. And can we just say, too, come on, we're honoring people tonight. Do you appreciate Celeste and her leadership of the worship and fine arts ministry at this church? <laughs> Celeste leads up the worship leadership life team, and, uh, and, and she has poured out her life. She was part of the plant team when we came, uh, when the church came uh, five years ago. And, uh, and you do a phenomenal job. So, all right, come on. All right.
1: Um, What I want to read from is in Matthew 4, and I'm just going to read the whole text for you guys first. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to this Samaritan village of Sikar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. I'm going to stop right there for a minute. Um, because it says that he had to go. Um, and the actual route that most Jews took due to the racial tension between Jews and Samaritan and, and Samaritans was not through Samaria. They actually went around the other way, and that was the more common route. So when the Bible says here that he had to go, it was because the Spirit of the Lord was prompting him to have the conversation with the woman of the well. God was telling them, you have to go to Samaria, not through the path most chosen. Um, He had to go to have the conversation that God was leading him to have. And a lot of times, the conversations that God wants us to have are not the path most chosen um, in our own lives. So, as we read on in the text, um, verse six Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Most of those conversations don't come when the timing is perfect. They come when you're tired. They come when there's other things in your life that are weighing you down or that are needing your attention or are frustrating you. it's usually at the least opportune time that you get to have the conversations that God is leading you to have. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Please give me a drink.'" He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Her response was pretty defensive, in my opinion. And if you know anything about this story, this woman was a promiscuous woman. She was at the well at a time when the rest of the women didn't come to the well because of how she was looked upon. So her relationship with men, let alone the racial tension between Jews and Samaritans, is probably leading her guard to be up, her defenses to be up. I don't know if there's a hint of, you know, what does this guy wants, what every other guy wants, you know. Um, But, sorry, I lost my spot in my notes. Okay, hard conversations are not always met with great responses, is, is what I took from that. And that um, that we're not responsible for the response of the other person. We're responsible to be obedient to what God is putting on our heart and to step into that moment because he's going to, it's momentum, Whatever direction the momentum is going, it's momentum, and God's going to breathe on it, and God's going to use it. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Jesus didn't react or respond to her defensiveness. He wasn't distracted by her hardness or her sarcasm. Um, or her lack of response, but rather he goes right to the heart of the matter, staying in tune with the Holy Spirit, keeping his eyes on restoration and viewing the person through their potential and what God sees them as rather than this moment right here. Um, and he doesn't allow the enemy to get him astray because he's going to try any way possible to get you right where. That person is, and to change the momentum to go in a negative direction rather than in the direction that, that God has for you in stepping into these moments. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his cattle enjoyed? Jesus replied, people soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. But water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. He meets her sarcasm and confrontation with words of life. Um, he doesn't get defensive. He doesn't get distractive. He's, he does what Pastor Fred was just talking about. Let, let me speak life. Let me continue to, to lead this conversation in the direction that God wants it to go. Um, I have <laughs> been in this situation many times where you just, you just don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to have this conversation. It's going to be really hard. I don't like moments of confrontation. But God views those moments as opportunities for relationship to grow, for restoration and for healing. And every time I've been obedient and stepped into a moment, even when I mess up, even when the momentum goes the wrong way, God always gives me another chance to go back to that person and to ask for forgiveness and to start all over. And it's those hard conversations that I've had to have, those people are the closest people in my life because we've walked through that together, because we've sought the Lord and because we've seen each other grow and because we've walked through hard things and allowed God to work and use us and forgiven each other because I don't always get it right, you know? We're not always going to get it right. We're fallen, but stepping into those moments, trusting the Lord, having a heart that's for the person, and setting your eyes on Jesus regardless of what comes at you. All of those things are going to set you up for success and should give you a confidence, not in yourself, not in who you are, because we can't. We can't do it on our own, but in who God is and in what he has for you. The last point I want to read, the woman says, Please, sir, give me some of that water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to haul water. Jesus says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. God doesn't just stop with the agenda that you think. (laughs) You know, you think you're going to have this conversation because you're being obedient to the Lord, but If you're seeking the Holy Spirit, there's going to be new doors that are opened and new opportunities. Jesus didn't just stop there. He said prophetically, you know, go and get your husband any red or mail, and it ends up leading to the salvation of the whole entire village because he took a step of obedience. And then he went even further to press in and step into a moment of prophecy and read this woman's mail and, and that's what God has. You know what I mean? Moments that we're afraid of, moments that we see as tension and as frustrating and as scary. He has moments to step into new levels of our destiny and our calling and hear his voice and speak prophetically and, and speak into a situation that we may not even know about unless we take that step of obedience. So that's kind of what God was speaking to me in relation to this message. And I'm going to hand it back over to Pastor Fred.
0: Thank you, Celeste. I'm going to have the worship band come back up. I'm going to wrap things up for tonight, and then we're going to pick it up next week. We wanted to share that story with you tonight. Celeste called me a month or so ago and said, God's really stirring my heart about this story. And I was like, it was the same thing with Nick. I was like, come on, God is building the sermon for this church and this idea of relationship. And, and uh, you see Jesus practicing the things that he preached. You you hear his teachings, then you look at his life. He's doing the very things that he says that we should do. Come on, and our lives as devoted followers of Christ should look the same way. The things that we profess a belief in, come on, they should be the things that when people are watching us, they see us living it out. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted also. Tempted by what? Tempted by their defensiveness. Tempted, tempted by not seeing a lack. Come on. Tempted by not seeing a lack of God in the moment. Believing that God can do all things. Tempted by not believing that the one person that you're going to could be the very person that's going to lead to revival in an entire city. If you had taken a survey in that town of who the one person that was going to be that was going to bring the first step to an entire town being reconciled to God, I guarantee you not one person was going to list her name. Not one person. Not one person. God does not see us for who we are. He sees us for who we're going to become. And when we're stepping into moments of conflict, we have to have eyes that say, I believe that there's a potential that is here in this person's life, and God is giving me the privilege to step in with humility and gentleness to help see that potential realized and fulfilled. And that we are the ones that carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. It's interesting he says the law of Christ, which means that it's a demand that he places on us. There's a message of grace, but the Bible also gives us a message of expectation. And we like the grace to come to us, come on, but we want to give the law to other people, don't we? And God says, no, I've got a law for you, that you're gonna be a grace giver to your world. Stand up in it. Come on, let's stand and sing the song together. As we sing the song, we're gonna close a little bit differently this week. As we sing the song, I'm just telling you, if you are a person, if you are a person, I know it's gonna take some courage, that you struggle in moments of conflict, either by being overly passive or by being overly aggressive. During the song, I'm just going to ask you to come and you stand Is your way of saying to God, God, I want to do it different. I either want to be a little bit slower or I want to be a little bit quicker. God doesn't want you to struggle in passivity and he doesn't want you to struggle in contentiousness. He wants you to walk the road of Christ. He wants your life to have flow.
2: Worthy is the Lamb who was slain
0: So, Father, we say tonight, we believe that these words that the apostle Paul pens centuries ago to his friends in Rome in the 8th chapter, the 11th verse, that we believe that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. And, O God, may it be That we would lean heavy into that power to let the things in us die that need to die. And let the things that need to come to life, let those things be resurrected. And we say, let it be, oh God, that we would let grace come alive in our hearts. That we would let mercy come alive in our hearts. That we would let forgiveness come alive in our hearts. That we would let courage come alive in our hearts that we would let patience come alive in our hearts, that we would let wisdom and discernment and the prophetic come alive in our hearts, that we want our lives to have flow. And may it be that out of us, may it be that out of us, that we would be ambassadors for Christ, rescuing people in this world. In Christ's name, and everybody said together, Amen. We'll see you next week.